Thanks for joining me. Thanks for coming back, guys. I am so excited to introduce you to the next recurring guest, Bridget Tijemeyer. I wanted to do a little disclaimer, though, before we jumped into this episode. Bridget is recording from her office in Ohio. It was our first time recording together, and the audio might not be the best that it can be. We promise to work on this for future episodes. She was finishing up her workday. The content is so worth it, and I hope you listen all the way through. Bridget Tijemeyer has her Master's of Science and nutrition. She's a registered dietitian nutritionist as well as a licensed dietitian. She has expertise in functional medicine. She was the founding dietitian at the Cleveland Clinic for Functional Medicine Center for Nutrition and has now transitioned to building her own functional nutrition and consulting business with a partner. You can find so much more about her at being Bridget, B-E-I-N-G, B-R-I-G-I-D, and beingbridget.com. That being said, let's get this episode started. Welcome to the Critical Conversations podcast. My name is Brianna Reesing, and I'm a critical care nurse with a true passion for preventative health. I've seen firsthand the impact that poor diet and lifestyle choices can have on us long term. So with each episode, we'll dive deeper into the realities of our healthcare system, what preventative health truly entails, and what you can do about it. Hey guys, welcome back. This is Bree. I am so excited to introduce you to my next guest slash co-host friend of mine who has agreed to join this community of ours and help us expand this conversation around health and nutrition and functional medicine and what preventative health can truly look like if we seek out the right ways and the right answers to find solutions to the problems we might be having. So without further ado, Bridget Tijemeyer, one of my friends that I have connected with in over Instagram, I believe was our first connection, or actually it was at Revitalize two years ago. Um, Our friend Lisa introduced us and we have been friends ever since. We just connected right away. We had so much in common and I'm just so inspired by everything Bridget has done in her career. She has trained under Dr. Mark Hyman, who you guys have heard us mention previously on previous episodes. He's one of the top docs in functional medicine world. And Bridget herself helped found the functional nutrition program at the Cleveland Clinic. Is that correct? Uh, at the Cleveland Clinic Center for Functional Medicine. All right. uh, yes. <laughs> Technicalities. <laughs> well, the Cleveland Clinic is a large place. So. <laughs> um, she has now transitioned away from there and has started her own business center, her own ways and is also teaching and she just she's incredible and the knowledge and insight she's going to bring to this podcast and this community is going to really open up your open up your minds into what's possible so Bridget thank you for joining us I'm so excited you're here Um, tell us a little bit about you and how you got involved in pursuing a career in functional nutrition and like where where did that begin what was your insight into the into the industry. Okay, thank you. Hi. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think that, you know, before I start, I just want to say how amazing it is that you have created this community. And I love the name Critical Conversations because I really do think that it, it is 
such a critical conversation for everyone to be having on how we can really improve the medical system and better serve patients and optimize patient care, identifying more of root cause approaches. And, uh, you know, I, I know that we've connected on this level of, you know, your frustrations with the nursing, the nursing system. And then, you know, there's so many friends that I have that are residents and um, doctors even that are frustrated with the medical system. And then, you know, so many of my friends and colleagues that are dietitians that are so con- concerned with, you know, the education that's provided in dietetic school that's, you know, so much of a bias, it seems like, towards, you know, the government, my plate recommendations being ingrained in your head of, like, people need to have a minimum of six servings of grains per day, which is literally, like, six pieces of bread, and, oh, wait, only 50% of them need to be whole grain. (laughs) (laughs) It's a standard one-size-fits-all approach, no matter which aspect of the medical system you look in, and that's truly where my frustration comes from and no it's exactly yeah. I think that everyone is starting to like everyone's eyes are opening and saying this isn't actually the right way to approach it but how do we even begin to uh, to fix it <laughs> right uh, which is where the critical conversation begins. yeah for sure thank you thank you for acknowledging that because it truly after working at the bedside for almost 10 years like it just became a passion of mine that there has to be a better way there has to be a different way and how can we start talking about this and connecting with somebody like you and realizing how much we had in common even though our expertise is in two completely different areas we're still frustrated by very similar things and I just think there, there's so much common ground that can come by having conversations like this so thank you for being here you're welcome and I think that we're it doesn't matter what profession you're in but trying to gravitate more towards what actually does the body need in order to create wellness rather than just managing disease because that's exactly what the medical system has become is just managing disease managing symptoms diagnosing a person and labeling them as one specific thing when it doesn't actually explain why a person has it like IBS is the best example of that yeah person, for sure you know comes to you and says oh well I, my doctor said that I have IBS and I'm like great well there's a million reasons for why you could have IBS right so actually that's the beginning of the story it shouldn't be the end of the story yeah um and I think that really the best way for us to serve other people better is to make sure that people are getting those ingredients I like to think of them that they need in order to create actual health and wellness within their own body yeah absolutely when I have a patient come into the ER with digestive symptoms and I ask them what their medical history and the only thing they can tell me is that they have IBS irritable bowel syndrome that tells me that they've been having symptoms for a while that nobody can figure out because nobody's asking the right questions. Right, exactly. They don't know the questions to ask. And then also, it's like a lot of times it takes so much more critical critical thinking to go through a person's timeline to better understand why exactly they're presenting with those GI symptoms. And it's much easier to just, you know, like give them some kind of aid in helping with their constipation or... Um, modium or whatever it might be to uh, normalize their their bowel movements instead of questioning right. what could actually be right. yeah. triggering we it. treat in the standard system the way it's set up you treat the symptoms and you don't really look further into it when I was looking at your website a few days ago um, being Bridget.com there is a sentence on there that I really liked when you're kind of diving into like what the difference is between standard traditional approach and the functional medicine approach and you said the approach is patient-centered rather 
rather than disease-centered. And that way it makes every approach with every patient very individualized and it's never a one-size-fits-all one approach. And I think that's huge. And I think that's where the system is transitioning to. The problem is, is it's just there's no time in the standard traditional way. And that's why people like you bringing different types of practices and making them available to people so they can have those bigger conversations. It's just, it's huge and it's changing lives. Mm. I mean, I honestly, I, I completely agree with that. And it just, I really happens to be in the right place at the right time. And through my own journey of, you know, understanding the way that the medical system wasn't helping me and that I needed to make my own changes at a young age, it's really because of my parents, uh, more than anyone else. But, uh, you know, once you go through that and then you experience how much better you can feel through changing your diet that doctors like time and time again, just ignore and ignore and ignore. It's like, it makes you that much more passionate about trying to spread the message to to everyone to say that, you know, you really can take more control of your health. I mean, even one of my best friends from growing up, she was, uh, she just had a baby. And when she was pregnant, um, I had sent her (laughs) immediately these uh, EPA, in DHA supplements with higher levels of DHA for pregnancy and omega threes, uh, and making sure that she was taking probiotics and a prenatal that she had said that her doctor recommended. And she was like, okay, well, if you're sending me these, then I need to just make sure with my doctor that it's okay for me to be taking. And so she went to the doctor and said, is it okay for me to be taking fish oil? The doctor was like, yeah, that shouldn't be a problem. And she's like, okay, so what dose would you recommend? And they're like, I'm not sure. Maybe you should Google it. And it's like, Wow. One of the most important nutrients they have on board and, you know, they're just recommending to Google. Wow. (laughs) Can you dive in? You mentioned it briefly. Can you dive into your health history a little bit and how your parents encouraged you to seek out a different path versus just taking the standard traditional answers from the traditional system? What, um, What symptoms were you having or what were you diagnosed with? Yeah, so I was diagnosed when I was about 14 with uh, narcolepsy, and I was having cataplexies with the narcolepsy, so it's a neurological disease. You, It's, you know, like the guy from Rat Race, where he can't control when he falls asleep, and he falls asleep <laughs> standing up in the middle of their races and stuff. Yeah, that's how it is <laughs> every day. And, and you were a kid um, when this was happening. You were just yeah. falling asleep, like, in the middle of school or just, like, at any aspect of your life? Um, every single class of every single day, my entire freshman year and, um, and any extra, like I went a few years without ever seeing a movie because I couldn't stay awake. I would just fall asleep in the movie theaters or like football games. I would have to go into my friend's mom's car because her older brother played for our high school football team. And I would have to like go take a nap in her car in the middle of it. Um, I ran cross country and track in high school and I would fall asleep in between the like 1200 meter intervals that we would do on the grass and like the three minutes that we had in between. Um, there were some times that it actually felt like I was running and sleeping, eating and sleeping, talking and sleeping. Um, (laughs) that's crazy. Yeah, it was very crazy. It came out of nowhere too. Um, there's two different types of narcolepsy and they don't know enough about it at this point, but they think that there's an autoimmune component. So people that have narcolepsy that also have cataplexies, it's more likely to be autoimmune focused. And I also had cataplexies, which are these mini seizures 
um, that you get basically and my eyes would they would only last about five to ten seconds but I would have them at least 20 times a day oh my gosh I my eyes would roll to the back of my head and I would uh, lose my ability to uh, to have any balance if I were standing um, those kinds of things that you know were happening to me all the time so you were diagnosed by the traditional system I assume um, what did they tell you the like treatment or approach or prognosis was going to be for the issues you were having? Yeah, I was diagnosed at the Cleveland Clinic, which is, you know, the interesting part of my story that then 10 years later, however many years later, we ended, I ended up being part of the team that opened right. the Center for Functional Medicine there. Um, but my parents at the time, when I was 14, I was diagnosed by the neurologist who actually re- refused to continue seeing me once he knew that my parents and I were seeking out this holistic doctor that was in the area and um, said that there was no association between diet and lifestyle and narcolepsy, that there was no established research on anything. Oh my and gosh. that my only route was going to be to take the drugs and that I would probably need to increase the dose as I got older because the progression of my narcolepsy would probably just get worse. Wow. So he wanted mm-hmm. to put you on heavy prescription medication when you're 14 years old and didn't want to believe or agree with you that there could be any other way of approaching it? Right. That was the only way in his mind. <sighs> um, he actually had his nurse practitioner like gang up against my parents and I, because I, I hated holistic medicine. I was like, give me the drugs. They're oh, interesting. So tired all the time. There's no way that I'm like, you know, seeking out anything else. And my parents were like, no, we really want to to ensure that, you know, we're doing everything possible to optimize the way that your body's functioning, even if it means having the drugs, just making sure that it's absolutely necessary. Wow, and, good for um, them. The nurse practitioner had narcolepsy and he like put us in a room and basically the nurse practitioner was like, I really hope that your parents let you take the drugs. They don't understand, but I understand. I know what it's like. <laughs> <laughs> That's so illegal (laughs) (laughs) to take a kid into another room without their parents and try and brainwash them. No, 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 no. My parents were in the room. Okay. (laughs) That's crazy. So did you ever end up taking the prescriptions even for a short amount of time? Yeah. So I actually still take them. And that's been an interesting journey for me as well, that um, I stopped taking all medication all summer and... I uh, thought that, you know, through the dietary and lifestyle changes that I've made, that I was doing so much better. And every year that I continue to go back, I now have an amazing neurologist at the Cleveland Clinic. And uh, she's, you know, become a lot more open-minded to functional medicine with seeing the results that I've had in addition to now, like, you know, having the, the Center for Functional Medicine open and being in meetings with Dr. Hyman. Um, but I... She continued to say, we can't believe how great you're doing. You're so functional for, you know, the severity of your narcolepsy. And I don't have cataplexies anymore. Oh, good. And um, so I I had stopped taking the medicine this entire past summer. And it was a mistake. And it made me realize how much, like, there are things that you can control within your own lifestyle. But at the same time, like, we're so lucky to have conventional medicine for as many flaws as there are in the system that... Uh, there are a lot of beneficial things as well that, you know, uh, sometimes functional medicine can't always be the answer for and diet can't always be the answer for and giving yourself permission to say, okay, that's okay for me to, you know, use the best of both combinations, I think is really important. That's such a huge, powerful point you just made. I didn't realize that you were still on the medication. I think you probably told me and I forgot, but 
that in itself that you yourself are in my eyes such an expert in this field of functional nutrition and just a real holistic approach but understanding and realizing that sometimes it needs to be a blend of both worlds like that's everything I I went into medicine knowing how powerful it can be and became a nurse in the ER because I know that there's so much we can do to help people and change their lives. But then there's also so much that as a person, like you said, that you can do to help yourself as well. And you're a perfect example of it. There's so much that you probably would have experienced or worsened without trying to change your lifestyle as well. And the medications have just allowed you to find balance in that. Yeah. And I think that it also helps to, um, like the way that I try to explain it, and this is even, I teach a graduate course in integrative and functional nutrition that I co-created with, uh, this amazing other dietitian, Dr. Stephanie Harris. And, uh, we created it last year together. And I was recently just talking about it that, you know, I think that the most important thing is to use nutrition as the first line of intervention. Yeah. Uh, like today I was lecturing on the use of proton pump inhibitors and the fact that 15 million Americans are put on proton pump inhibitors. Yeah. It's the anti-ulcerants are the number four most common drug that's prescribed, but it also comes with a lot of increased risks of chronic um, kidney disease and uh, and adrenal disease and t- dementia and magnesium deficiency, B12. Yeah, it can have severe neurological effects, right? Exactly. Yeah. And it alters your uh, stomach acid, which is, it, there's been papers that have shown uh, the use of Nexium and other proton pump inhibitors increased risk of small intestinal bacterial overgrowth or SIBO right. and small intestinal fungal overgrowth or SIFO, which is you know the presence of bacteria and fungus in the small intestine, which is supposed to be more of a sterile environment uh, that shouldn't have as much of the bacterial and fungus because it's supposed to be populated uh, more so in the large intestine or the microbiome. So because so, that medication alters the balance in your stomach acid, it allows certain pathogens to progress into lower parts of our, our digestive tract that are, aren't supposed to be able to make it down there. Is that exactly. an easier way of saying it? I'm just trying to <laughs> translate a little bit. <laughs> no, exactly. Um, but it's like, why is nutrition not the first line of intervention? It's obviously like yeah. there's a need for proton pump inhibitors 100%. But they also increase risk of early death. There was a 2017 study that was published in the BMJ demonstrating that, and it was a it was a longitudinal study, but it was you know like a, a an eye opening one I think to demonstrate that there are risks. And so if a person if there are things that can decrease a person's need for uh, the the dose or the frequency and optimize the sensitivity because that's how I look at the way that I've changed my own diet is that it's really increased my sensitivity to a very low dose of drugs right. that I otherwise would probably need to continue to increase over time. Right. That was going to be my next question. So when you were 14 and the neurologist wanted to put you on these medications and he said you were going to have to increase over time. Have you had to slowly or are you still on the same low dose you were on back then? No, I'm still on the same dose. Okay. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, yeah, it, it is awesome. And it really because of my parents. But uh, when I originally went to the holistic doctor, she was practicing. She was so ahead of her time. She's uh, now gone through the IFM training at the Institute for Functional Medicine to become a certified practitioner. And uh, she had like, she was operating out of a house. And I just remember like 
her asking me what my favorite food was and I said like blue raspberry slushy floats from Dairy Queen, you know, that had like the ice cream on the side. Oh my god. The, and they're like blue bright blue, chemicals. a color that like no real food is the color of. <laughs> right, exactly. And it wasn't like I had an unhealthy diet. Like my parents have always cooked. They're amazing cooks and uh, you know, have a garden and all these things, but I definitely was engaging in some of these things that, that, you know, I ended up having to remove from my diet. And I remember her just saying to me like, okay, well, you'll never have that again. And in my <laughs> eyes, just like swelled with tears. And I'm like, mom, get me out of here. <laughs> I mean, it truly is like, sounds like the worst thing in the world, not to be able to have your favorite food. But now that you're on the other side of it, you realize one, that that wasn't really food at all. And two, avoiding that one thing for the long term actually had such great health benefits that you wouldn't have otherwise known if you hadn't so taken true. it out. Yeah. So true. Well, and that's not the only thing that she took away from me. She took away a lot of other things I would just like to add. But <laughs> <laughs> I do agree. It was it was it didn't seem like it was worth it at the time. But one thing that I, I really constantly am talking to my clients about is the that your taste buds really do adjust. That one, it's the changing your taste buds too. It's finding dopamine hits from other places because yeah. we know that sugar, uh, you know, sugar addiction is a real thing and that it actually can increase dopamine and serve as the stimulant that makes you feel like, you know, you're having sex or doing other amazing things that make the body feel really good. Yeah. And, and you're always so looking for that next hit, that next r- rush from, right. and it's easiest to get from our food sources because it's constantly right. available. Exactly. Um, and then I also think that it's about creating new norms for yourself. So norms are so much of a thing that the food industry takes advantage of when, uh, you know, trying to make sure that everyone is, that their norm is to have processed food out of a bag yep. and to make lean cuisines at night and this whole idea of convenience and accessibility that they tried to sell people on when the processed food industry really took over. But it's it's about changing your norms so that, uh, like I was actually talking about, we did this exercise in my class where they, uh, the students all could choose a different diet that they were going to go on for two weeks. One was elimination diet, paleo diet. Others were just like gluten-free diet. And so we were, they turned in their assignment today and they were reflecting on, you know, like what the biggest changes were that they noticed in just two weeks of changing their diet. Mm-hmm. For a lot of them, it was the first time that they ever had. And these are nutrition students, graduate level nutrition students that are either going to medical school or finishing their dietetic internship. And, um, one of them had said that it was just so hard to pass the BRB cafeteria and sit like smell the foods and look at the foods that she was typically ordering compared to then the new norms that she was creating for herself. Interesting. The more that you create habits around those choices, the more, the easier that it gets over time. But it's like the, the process of creating habits. The power of habit is one of my favorite books. Yeah. Creating new habits and breaking free from old ones. Exactly. Yeah. Because it seems like there's no, nothing else at the time. Cause it's the only thing you're used to. Like it used to be so common for me to be driving home from school or from a vacation or anything like that and drive past a fast food restaurant and pull into the driveway and order food through the window. I cannot tell you the last time I did that, but I remember when it used to be the norm. And when I first told myself that I wasn't going to eat fast food and I would look around and I'm like, what else am I supposed to eat? Like, this is all that's yes. available. And it seemed at the time that that was the only thing in my awareness that 
I had no other options. And now my husband and I laugh when we're driving, like we don't even notice the fast food restaurants or we do. And we just think about like, it's been so long since we've even thought about pulling into there. It's just so interesting how your perspective changes. Completely changes to the point that then you're like not even tempted by it. Yeah, completely. Um, We're kind of coming up close to the end of this episode. And I just want if you don't mind, I want you to describe in your words, from your perspective, um, what functional, the true functional nutrition, functional medicine, like benefit is the approach. I know you've kind of, we've talked on it a little bit already, but if you just want to put it into like more concise words of what functional nutrition and functional medicine truly is, because Laura and I did an episode, a few episodes back, I think it was episode three or four. And we really tried to talk about the difference between a nurse practitioner and a DO and a functional doc versus a naturopath versus, you know, if you could maybe go into that a little bit, like what's the difference between a functional medicine doc or a naturopath or are they one and the same? And how, how do you describe that, that side of the healthcare system when people ask you what it is? Yeah. So there's a lot of different forms of traditional medicine, or I mean, um, a lot of different forms of holistic medicine. Right. So you have, uh, your, lifestyle medicine and integrated medicine, functional medicine, Chinese herbal therapy, and, you know, all these various areas. But I think that functional medicine, like the main distinguishing factor is that if you're seeing an integrative medicine doctor, they'll traditionally, you know, give you like various tools. The idea of integrated medicine is thinking of it more as tools where you have, they'll refer you to acupuncture, to massage therapy, or, you know, to various things. In functional medicine, it's like every single person goes through the same process where uh, they're looked at, their timeline is looked at, their entire life timeline, so that you get a really good idea of capturing whether they were bottle fed or breastfed and whether they were vaginal birth or C-section, two things that strongly impact the development of a person's gut microbiome and their immune system for their entire life. Um, And then looking at all the other factors up until then so that a person understands that they didn't just wake up one day by chance with this autoimmune disease or, you know, with high blood pressure or whatever it is. It's always compounding factors, a lot of times stress related uh, that, you know, people go through very traumatic or stressful events. And then two years later, they end up starting to develop these symptoms because society tells us that we need to just move on from things. People always are in my office saying like, I've, but I've moved on from that. I'm like, have you moved on or have you healed from it? Because there's two very different, those are two very different things. Um, so I think that, you know, looking at all these contributing factors on a person's timeline is one of the distinguishing factors of functional medicine. And then using a, a stains approach at looking at root cause. So the Integrative and Functional Nutrition Academy uh, uses a stains approach looking at the major causes of disease being stressors toxins um, adverse food reactions infections and nutritional deficiencies and using that as kind of your landscape of helping a person to better identify root cause i think it's you know one of the big distinguishing factors of functional medicine and then within functional medicine you have most of the functional medicine doctors that i've worked with are um, you know mds do's I've worked with a few chiropractors, all of which can become board certified in functional medicine through the Institute for Functional Medicine. Um, Physicians assistants can as well. Nurses can as well. 
but I think I think of it as like you see, you know, typically they're like an MD or a DO in, in functional medicine that's right. overseeing a lot of what's happening. And then within that, you have functional nutrition, which is using food as medicine and uh, focusing more on whole foods and you know no processed foods and incorporating key or key nutrients that can actually modulate a person's health and the process of healing uh, looking at a person's biochemical individuality and relying on the root cause analysis of any kind of dysfunction that's happening um, in order to better identify you know what a person needs in terms of a targeted intervention and looking at the quality of the food, the phytonutrient diversity that they're, that they're feeding their body and helping people to understand that actually food serves as uh, information for your system. And that's how I always think of it as uh, even more so than, you know, food is medicine. I think of food as information and energy that you're putting into your body and like what kind of energy you want to be fueling yourself with. And I then love the that. second part is the information part, which is looking at food as actual information for your DNA where you can't change your DNA, but you have the ability to turn on or off various gene mutations that can, it changes the expression of your genes. Yeah. Um, so using that as a way to identify how a person is going to eat best, what nutrients they need in their diet and all of those things. In addition to also considering their mental and emotional health, because, you know, I'm always wary of, I see very commonly like functional medicine doctors that are just very casually prescribing six week elimination diets and just saying, okay, here's a list of foods to avoid for the next six weeks. And really without screening a person for a history of eating disorder or disordered eating patterns, I think that, you know, there's some risks that are associated with it in terms of compromising a person's mental and emotional health. Yeah. 100%. I mean, whether or not they even have had an eating disorder in the past, or if they're even mentally ready, maybe they're so stressed out in their life, they can't even imagine changing anything about their food routine. It's definitely, I've been through a very strict elimination diet myself two years ago, and I had to be mentally ready. It took me six months after reading the book to decide to start because it, it changes everything in your life for a short amount of time. And mm-hmm. you can't, you can't start change unless you have mentally accepted it. So that's mm-hmm. huge that you mentioned that. Do you see clients only after they've seen a functional um, medicine physician or do you see people that come to you before even being seen by a doctor? No, I also see people before they they see a functional medicine doctor. Sometimes it works nicely when paired with, you know, like um, certain GI doctors or something will refer them to me. And uh, I think that sometimes it is an easy way to just, you know, identify certain areas to focus on in order to change their diet. And I'll sometimes order like a stool test. I'm uh, more heavily ordering genetics testing to better identify because I think that that has a huge influence on a person's diet and the foods that they should be incorporating. But I do see people that haven't seen a doctor. And then if it seems like they need to be seeing a functional medicine doctor. Like if I run a stool test and they have parasites or something right, like that, right? Um, then I'll refer because there's so much that, you know, I mean, the microbiome is <laughs> so much research has come out, but there's still so much that we don't know about it. Mm-hmm. And um, a lot of times I do feel more comfortable working alongside a functional medicine doctor, which is how I was trained at the Cleveland Clinic. That's how it was where, you know, I was always with uh, seeing the doctor's patients because 
all of the patients there are required to see a dietitian if they're seeing a doctor. Got it. To give them the support they need to continue and make the changes smoothly. Well, they also actually have health coaches that help with a lot of the okay. transitioning and changes. But um, the doctors would focus more on like, you know, all the supplement recommendations, any medication recommendations that they had. And then the nutrition appointments were more focused on like, okay, what do I eat? Right. <laughs> Where do I start? <laughs> or just such what a, kind of diet should I be following? It's Ketogenic, such a elimination, AIP, gluten-free. You know, there's just like so much confusion around yeah. everything. Do you think there is one perfect diet for any one person? I don't. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I totally agree. I've gone through all the phases of believing the hype and the messaging and, you know, the way experts deliver their message and the marketing around it. It can make you feel like that's the perfect diet. But truly, it's about tuning into you, listening to how certain things are making you feel and whether or not it's aligning with your lifestyle and then deciding whether or not that diet is right for you. Exactly. Yeah. I completely agree with that. Well, you are doing powerful things, Bridget, and I am so happy I get to call you a friend and now get to do this podcast with you. We're going to dive into so much great information that I cannot wait for you to share with the community. So we are going to cut this episode off. That is the end of this first episode with Bridget, but the beauty of critical conversations and the way we are going to create this community and open up this conversation as Bridget will be back. So make sure and reach out to her. You can find her. Your Instagram is being Bridget, correct? Um, I, my, my one Instagram is being Bridget. And then um, I also have a functional RDs Instagram. Those are the two. Okay. I'm working on. Cool. So you can find her at being Bridget and that's being B-R-I-G-I-D and then also beingbridget.com. If you want to learn a little bit more about her, she has great information on her website as well that you can start diving into and she will be back. So reach out to me at Critical Conversations or contact at criticalconversationspodcast.com and let me know if you have any questions for her, future topics you think would be amazing for us to discuss down the line. And I want to keep you guys involved and keep you part of the conversation. So thank you for listening and thank you for being here, Bridget. I'm so happy we were finally able to get this first episode recorded in many more to come. I know. I'm so excited too. Thank you so much for having me. (laughs) (laughs) All right, guys, have a good night. It's three hours in the future for Bridget. So we're recording this in two different time zones. She's currently in Ohio. So we're aligning our time as part of the struggle here, but it is so worth it. And we promise to make it work in the future. So make sure and tune in next week and the next episode will be there and we'll see you soon.